following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hey, everybody. Could you do the show a favor and fill out a survey at podcastone.com? You'll see the survey banner on the homepage. It'll take you less than five minutes, and it really helps us out. That's podcastone.com, and thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. Folks, Anybody listening out there today, you don't know how lucky you are. I have two of the smartest guys when it comes to understanding the economics of sports and in particular stadiums, what the impact of stadiums could mean for teams as well as the communities and states that these stadiums are located in. I have Roger Knoll, professor of economics, Emeritus Stanford University, and Mark S. Rosentraub, the Bruce and Joan Bickner, endowed professor of sport management at University of Michigan. Mark, that was a long sentence. Did I say that right or did I botch it? No, you got it all. Oh, I'm okay. sure the Bickner's appreciate it. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> Guys, this is a great honor. Uh, I've been following both of your work for, for many, many years. You've helped me so much as I delve into the economics of team values uh, and, and it's a real honor to have both of you on. Um, let, me, let me start by uh, summarizing for our audience, at least as I was most recently able to get a grasp on it, the financing for the Raiders' new stadium as it's currently being proposed in Las Vegas, um, totaling about a total cost of $1.9 billion. The funding coming from... Nevada tax revenue, $750 million, a loan from Bank of America to go towards the construction of the new stadium, $650 million, a loan from the NFL, $200 million, the sale of personal seat licenses, $250 million, and the Oakland Raiders are going to put in cash of $50 million. Um, and... Now, of course, there's there's some serious uh, uh, few matters that have to be, you know, basically T's crossed, I's dotted by mid-October for this to actually happen. Um, but from where we sit now, it does look like it's going to happen. And, and, and Mark, let me start with you. Did I grasp the basic financing of this stadium correctly? Am I, am I missing anything or leaving anything out? Now, the basic financing, you're 100% accurate. But one of the things that I, that got lost in the conversations is that, um, and actually is how I got involved with it, this project actually begins in 2010 uh, and crystallizes in 2011 when uh, UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, actually approached uh, me and some others about trying to figure out how they could get a stadium built on or near the campus that was principally for entertainment and their football team. Uh, The football team actually plays in a facility kind of dated and distant from campus, and they wanted something uh, on the campus. And so we actually developed a group of people, uh, a financial model, and since the facility was really going to generate opportunities for the entertainment packages available uh, in Las Vegas. UNLV really would not benefit a great deal. The economic value would actually go to the resorts. And so we proposed in 2011 a tax package that would essentially shift the burden of the stadium to uh, the resort industry. 
arguing that, okay, if we do this, there's a whole set of concerts, shows, etc., that were really bypassing Las Vegas. And, and that's where the idea, there was no uh, NFL team. There was no Raiders. We never thought, believed, hoped. It was just not part of the conversation. So that whole package of financing, which is still anchored by a cost passed on to the resort industry, had its genesis back in 2011 when this whole concept of a dome stadium in Las Vegas was approached. Very interesting. Uh, uh, Roger, uh, as I recall, uh, Adelson, who uh, is, is, uh, I believe, a billionaire out there in Vegas and owns some hotels, made his money in in, in the hotel industry, he initially was going to be uh, put in some money into the stadium, but at some point pulled out uh, over some concerns of how I believe revenue from the stadium was going to be distributed. Um, Do you recall uh, why he pulled out and what those concerns were about? Well, first of all, uh, Adelson is more than just a hotel owner. He is the. There are three major companies that own almost all the casinos in Las Vegas, and he's he's the owner of one of them. Uh, And he he the 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 loan from Bank of America that you talked about is a replacement for for him. He was going to invest six hundred and fifty million. The um, the the exact details of why the negotiate why the deal with Adelson fell apart have never been fully explained. But the 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 main issue, I believe, from what I can infer from what I've heard from people involved in the process, is that he he wanted an ownership stake in either the Raiders or the stadium, and he was never able to negotiate that. And so he basically didn't have any real collateral for his $650 million loan, and that's that is, I believe, the main reason he he pulled out. Now, it you know, I, I think that that one has to wonder why he didn't see that coming long in advance, and and wonder if maybe it was the actual financial plan uh, that caused him to withdraw, as opposed to simply the fact that he didn't have an ownership share in the team or the stadium. Uh, Mark, as we sit here today. Uh, who would operate and own the new stadium, and uh, how would that impact, in your view, the potential for revenue generation and uh, you know the ability to maximize all the things that you discussed in terms of bringing other events to the stadium and so forth uh, into this new Las Vegas stadium? The uh, governor... Uh, has appointed a um, basically a public authority over the stadium. Uh, so it's all public officials from the state from the state of Nevada, some from La- La- uh, Las Vegas itself, some from the industry, and and from UNLV. They they are the owner of the facility. Um, I haven't been involved in the lease negotiations for quite a while, but the issue about the entertainment package and who controls that will largely go to whoever the Raiders um, decide to be their pa- uh, their partner, whether it will be AEG, whether it would be Live Nation, whether it be some other organization. And that's the one that would deal with the entertainment side of, of it, of which, of course, the, the Raiders would probably get an ownership share of that. And then, of course, the, the Raiders will control all other revenue inside the venue, uh, which is the luxury seating, naming rights, uh, Etc. Uh, Roger, before we just focus on the Raiders specifically, what's been your uh, uh, experience as you look at the ability of teams that do control their stadiums to successfully generate revenue? When I, when I go through the NFL numbers every year for the valuations, uh, there seems to be a, a, a very uh, wide uh, difference between what teams generate from their non-NFL events. Um, is, is there a huge gap 
in the managerial ability to generate revenues among NFL owners? Issue number one is the formal owners have a remarkably low level of involvement in how the stadium will actually be operated and managed and have very little information. Then the second the second part of the story is that, um, yes, management of the stadium matters a great deal in terms of whether you generate a million dollars worth of income per year from the facility or 10 million. But the reality is that non-NFL events in all stadiums account for a very small fraction of profits, of revenues over cost, compared to the NFL team itself. And that's, that's because the number of events that actually want to have a facility that seats 60 or 70,000 people is very small. That a lot of the things you see going on in the stadium uh, are not things that actually take, make, take advantage or make use of its full capacity. They're not things that you would really want to have a $2 billion facility that seats 70,000 people be the venue. Um, and the, the days of, of the the Beatles and the Rolling Stones going around filling football and baseball stadiums are are basically over. There's very there are very few events that you can hold that will generate a huge crowd like that. And so, like the the total number of events in in all the football and baseball stadiums in the Bay Area, all every single one for all the major league sports teams plus the colleges that play here, the total number of of concerts, rock concerts, and other kinds of concerts in all the stadiums put together last year was seven. That's very interesting, Roger. But that said, you know, I, I was talking to the Dolphins the other day, and as as both of you gentlemen know, they've they've poured in I I want to say five hundred million dollars of of Stephen yes. Ross's own money into uh, renovating that stadium the last I guess two and a half three years, and. Although proportionally the non-NFL events make up a a very small percentage of overall revenue, um, they are pushing hard to get that revenue. So uh, they were telling me, the Dolphins, were that while last season, meaning 2016, they generated in the neighborhood of $10 million in operating income uh, from non-NFL events, they expect that to more than double this year. So it seems like it's almost like they see that as gravy. And there, and I, and I think with the NFL, we could probably say that $20 million of non-NFL revenue is more valuable than $20 million in national TV revenue because they don't have to share it with the other teams. My, my point being is, although it's small, they seem to really be going after it. If you have a a business opportunity to make several million dollars, you're going to take advantage of it, and that's true. But the point that I was making is still true, which is the profitability of playing football games is far greater than the profitability of the other uh, 350 days a year when you're not playing football games. You get, you know, the the, 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 the the 10 times a year you use it for a football game plus maybe a playoff or two generate a lot more profit than the remainder of the year gets from all the other events. It's the and that and and moreover, a lot of the things you actually end up putting in it are not things that you actually needed the stadium. So, from the Miami Dolphins' point of view, if somebody plays in 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 their stadium rather than plays in the basketball facility or some other facility, that's good for them. But for the city of Miami, it didn't cause a net increase in events. If a if an event that that is only going to draw fifteen thousand people happens in the football stadium, the football team benefits, but the city doesn't get a net benefit. It just changes from one venue to another. And so if you ask, how, how does this actually increment the total tax collections of Clark County and Las Vegas City, uh, the total number of events in the area, you have to look and see how many events are going to be added to the metropolitan area and its existing infrastructure, given that uh, not very many events need 70,000 seats. Mark, we're going to get into the specifics of the uh, Vegas Stadium in a second, but can you just give me your quick take, a follow-up on the overall aspects of the non-NFL events? 
the points that Roger's making, we, we actually um, really delved into in depth in, in 2011, 2012, when we, we put together the original proposal originally. There are a number of, of events that can be attracted, especially to a place like Las Vegas, which last year had you know, almost 43 million uh, visits to, to it. Las Vegas is an economy that is driven on events. Gaming is now available in 38 states and provinces. They have got to continue to offer things to fill this fantastic volume of rooms that they have. We went through a meeting with Las Vegas Events, that is the organization that tries to recruit events to Las Vegas, to get a listing of all the things that they could not uh, host in the city on all of its existing venues. You have to be sure these are events that couldn't fit anywhere else in the area. Uh, and we took that list only. We didn't count anything else. Now, to your point, Mike, about it, and Roger's point about the profitability, the profitability rests, obviously, there's a little bit of profit that's made at the stadium, but it's obviously the, the spending that occurs off-site, which could be at the hotels and the resorts. And that was why in 11, when we proposed the, the concept of how we finance it, that the bulk of the financing should come from the resort industry, because this venue, just like the Thomas & Mack when it was proposed uh, in the 80s, would bring events to Las Vegas that right now bypass the city. And it was up to the, uh, the resorts to figure out, is it worth it to you to have those events or not? Because UNLV can't make any money on that. They don't have hotels. They don't have casinos. They don't have retail malls. And that was the way in which we went about trying to answer that question. Would there be a marginal increase? Or, and are we not taking one event that would have played at MGM and now putting it into the, into the stadium? So we eliminated any event that would, could, could have fit in any existing facility in Las Vegas. And we, of course, did not account because we didn't expect and still don't think it, 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 it changes the basic concept. Uh, there was no consideration of the presence of the NFL in the original facility, nor when we uh, when I represented UNLV to the legislative committee uh, in our analysis, we completely dismissed uh, the Raiders. As if they came, that'd be great. They don't come. The concept still works. And breaking away to say this show is brought to you by the business platinum card from American Express. However you move your business forward with business platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the business platinum card backed by the service and security of American Express. Okay. So Mark, just to let me follow up on that. Uh, obviously, at this point, uh, the Raiders want to come, and it looks like they're coming. In in the stadium, as it's being proposed as we sit here today, uh, for our listeners who don't have the benefit of being able to uh, look at a very detailed spreadsheet, what would you say were the key variables that you plugged in uh, to see whether or not this made economic sense for the state and Based on that, how many events will have to be played at this stadium uh, in, besides Raider games to make this work and be a, uh, a plus, if you will, for the Las Vegas and Nevada economy? Uh, Mike, what we did was exactly to try to answer, answer your question to them. And this is where, um, again, it's always – in context matters a great deal, all right? We projected that uh, it was realistic to think that there might be a total of 15 events, just 15, that would uh, play in, in the new stadium. We then went through a number of survey uh, data that, uh, that another organization called Las Vegas Visitors Convention Authority had done surveying people who come, why they came to the city, et cetera. Uh, what drove their visit to Las Vegas. Uh, and so we projected that approximately 60% of the tickets that would be sold to these 15 events would involve people who would either extend a stay or would come specifically for those events. So we had a very lower attendance rate. 
We then looked at the number of days somebody typically spend, uh, spends in Las Vegas. Uh, we calculated that against the hotel tax that they would pay, uh, and people uh, some need to get uh, need to get their arms on the fact a significant portion of the hotel tax actually goes to local governments in Las Vegas. Some of it goes to UNLV. Some of it actually goes to Northern Nevada. It's divided up, so Southern Nevada doesn't keep it all. And we came up with a projection of what we thought was reasonable amount of tax money that these 15 events would generate for Las Vegas and Nevada. And then we suggested that that be a number that one could be used to judge what the state should contribute to the facility, which by the way is uh, quite a bit lower than the 750 million. So then people ask the question, so how did it jump from what you recommended to 750 million. Well, that comes from a, a revenue that UNLV was promised in 2016, which said that if the Raiders don't come and the Dome Stadium is not built, the state of, uh, of Nevada would give UNLV $200 million, I believe that was the number, for their uh, athletic program and the new stadium. And UNLV would have to raise other money if it was going to cost more than that. So essentially, where some of the legislators that I met with were, were putting things together, they said, okay, if we took your conservative number and we added the $200 million we promised UNLV, uh, that came up to a, another number, which is still not 750 Why it went to 750 I don't know. It was not where we had made projections as to what was reasonable. Hmm. All right. That's interesting. Roger, let me uh, ask you the same question in terms of what are the key variables when you're looking at when you look at uh, the financing for this and in terms of whether or not this is a winner for Las Vegas and Nevada? Well, yeah, yeah. The uh, the answer to the question, where did the seven? How did it get to seven hundred and fifty million? The way it got to seven hundred and fifty million was um, a truly crazy assumption. That this is long since, long after Mark was involved, they hired a consulting firm to pick up where he left off and add numbers uh, to get it up to a higher number. And the assumption that was made at the time was that of the uh, of the sixty five thousand people per game that would uh, be attending the Raiders games in Las Vegas, uh, 22,500 of them would be net increments to tourists. And so then you multiply that over the uh, entire season and you get uh, exactly the way Mark described. They, you have, therefore, uh, a big increment to tourism. You multiply that by the average number of days people stay in Las Vegas, which is 3.2, work through the hotel tax, and you generate an, an, an incremental amount of revenue that actually exceeds the amount that Mark predicted from all these other events, all right, because it's more people spending more money and staying a longer period of time. And that that's, now it's, it's gotten worse than that because instead of 22,500, we now have a bigger number because they faced another issue, which is there's a, a, a zoning restriction for events that, uh, about the number of parking places you have to provide. And for a facility with 65,000 seating capacity, you have to provide close to 20,000 parking spaces, and uh, there's nowhere near enough room anywhere near the stadium uh, to build that kind of parking. So in order to get the parking number down, they've increased the projected number of tourists uh, to almost half of the total attendance, uh, and then said, well, these people will all be staying in hotels, and they'll take hotel vans or they'll walk from the Strip to the stadium. Um, and so that gets you yet another increment to the hotel tax uh, uh, because of the increased number of tourists. So the, the real, the real, and Mark, Mark's exactly right. And this is something that both that, that anybody who's a who's a real analyst would always agree 
that these things could never make sense unless you're actually going to attract people from outside the area, tourists. And no NFL team in, in, in history has ever had more than 5% of the people in attendance be tourists. And yet we're in a, a model now where the success of the stadium in Vegas hinges on more than a third being tourists, being something on the order of 40 to 45%. And not only does the, the, the revenue forecast for the city of penciling out and being worth the amount of money that's being sunk in it, but it also uh, hinges on satisfying the parking conditions and also the Raiders actually generating um, enough revenue uh, so to, the move would be worthwhile. It all hinges on an assumption about tourism that is unprecedented. And the only answer you get from people when you raise this issue with them, why is it going to be 40% in Las Vegas when it's 3 three to 5% at most NFL cities, is the answer, well, this is Vegas. We're different. Uh, before I follow back with Mark, Roger, I just want to uh, follow up on what you're saying. <clears throat> Who is on the it, – it sounds like – if I understand you correctly, because of some of the assumptions that were put in after Mark did his work, it, it sounds like there could be a revenue shortfall to cover part of the cost of this stadium, a significant part of it. If if that were to happen, if I'm understanding you correctly, who would then pick up that, that tab? Would it be they'd have to raise taxes or find tax revenue from other sources? What would likely happen? That's exactly right. It would have to be paid out of uh, Clark, the Clark County uh, revenues from other things. They'd have to either raise other taxes or cut other expenditures to pay the service on the debt. And actually, it's more than $750 million because the stadium location they've picked is on a freeway exit that's in downtown Las Vegas, and they have to completely re-engineer and redesign the freeway exit. And the estimated cost of that is on the order of $200 million. So we're now up to $950 million of public money uh, to to finance the, not only the stadium but the infrastructure support. And if the if the incremental revenues from tax collections due to incremental tourism are insufficient to pay that, then it has to come out of other Clark County revenues. Hey, hey Mark, you know, uh, you've done so much uh, excellent work in this area of stadiums. Do, do you... Have you often found that when you do your work and present it to a city or a state or stadium authority and they happen to not like the conclusions you've reached or your math, they then, after you leave, they uh, subsequently, you know, start plugging in some of their own numbers? Well, they don't invite me back. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know because well, I never tell him. Let me... Um, uh, just a, a couple of points. One is, at the last meeting uh, before the Legislative Committee, where I went with my assistant, we recommended that they not count anything from the um, Raiders and attendance at the Raiders in building the financial model. And so, you know, so I'm on record. It's not only written, but it's, I literally said to them, don't do it if they come. All, the, all, all to the good. If they don't come, this is what it will generate, and, and this is where the attendance should be focused on. So that was a way of being conservative. I, exactly. I, I, I could say to them, you know, I, based on talking to lots of experts and people who actually book entertainment, I was pretty confident that these 15 events would take place, and this is the amount of tax money that you would get. And then you can figure out what you want to do or or not. But going – so there was a number. And that number, it's in – I mean, it, it exists. It's in their records. was about $450 million at the outside. And I was focusing on trying to get it below $450. They would not go beyond that. Now, to the point uh, – two points, though, to keep in mind. Uh, one is uh, the tax is being collected right now. And um, – and, and we are tracking whether or not there's been any downswing in, a, in, in attendance. And so right now, uh, it seems like not having any effect on, on uh, visits. Uh, but the public sector commitment is fixed at $750 million. It will be generated by that tax. 
it's just not going to get the kind of rate of return that we had hoped they would be considering. So that's happening. And with in regard to the freeway, that freeway expansion is already in the long-term capital uh, program for the Nevada Department of Transportation. What they are going to have to do is move it forward about three years. So that interchange is being done exactly as it was planned, but it's being planned. It, it will be executed now three plus years earlier than it than it would have done. But hold on one second, Raj. Hold on one second. I'm but sorry. To Raj's guys. point, we're, I think we he and I are in complete agreement. Our models did do not predict that they would generate as much money as they believed they were going to project by having, but because the, their reliance on Raiders tourism. I mean, I, I think there will be some. Why not? But to build that into your model and expect that would give you a rate of return, that's really speculative. And plus also, we've never had the NFL in Las Vegas, so I would imagine that was another good reason for trying yeah. to be conservative because you, you don't, we don't really know, or I should say you never really know, but it would be harder to predict than, say, football in another market where there's been the NFL for a while or at least in a previous time. And we spent a lot of time uh, validating from others about would these 10 or 15 events actually come? And we got assurances they would. And that's why I said, you know, we had a we had a good model. It was going to work. Uh, it, it just wasn't going to work at $750 million, But uh, as I said, uh, after our last public presentation, I believe that was the last time we were invited back. <laughs> Raj, I'm going to let you jump in on the highway. But and, and also, if you could please follow up based on your experience, you know, th- these are rather unusual times just economically overall, right? We're a country where the economy, economy typically grows 3% or and during recoveries 4%. You know, we're, we're sub 2% for many years right now. I, I After you follow up on the highway, Roger, and then, then we'll let Mark take a swipe at this too, how volatile, how much of an impact does the overall economy have just on, on how, whether or not stadiums make it or not, whether the financing uh, makes sense? Okay. First of all, a brief comment on the on the on the on the freeway. The, the, they had to do two things. They changed the design of the freeway exit in two ways. First of all, they had they vastly increased the capacity of the off ramps because of the peak load problem of having a stadium there. Uh, they the, the 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 highway redesign was not intended to be something that would accommodate something would have peak load traffic like a stadium would. So they had to expand that. Second. Uh, apropos the point I made before, uh, the assumption that you're going to have like 20,000 people walking to the stadium, <laughs> which is, no stadium in history has ever had that, um, they also had to build a walkway. Uh, uh, that is a, a walkway overpass uh, over the freeway. So you, you're going to have a walkway for 20,000 people 10 times a year uh, to walk to the facility. And so those two things added to the cost. Now, with regard to the, to the long-term financial story here, um, there's a, the, the problem one faces with these facilities is that uh, is twofold. The first is you have an extraordinarily powerful and sophisticated party uh, in the terms of the football team. And the, the reason they want new stadiums is not because they want to do Las Vegas a favor and have it have more entertainment shows and more tourists. They want the, the Raiders want to are want a new stadium to make more money, and any opportunity for money inside the stadium they see as rightfully theirs. And so the the reason for conservatism, like Mark was talking about, uh, when don't count on much from the team, the reason you assume that is because you assume the bargaining power of the team is 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 so great that most of the, if not all, of the incremental uh, revenue that the stadium will generate is going to go to the team. All right, it's not going to be used to pay for the stadium. Um, the second part of the story is that uh, NFL stadiums cost 
a lot more than you would normally invest in something that generates the kind of revenue it does. And that's because there's a pyramid aspect to them. There's a, there's an element to stadiums of people, owners, wealthy owners, building monuments to themselves. And you can think of the new facility in L.A. being like that. You can think of AT&T Stadium in Texas being like that, where they, they end up costing a lot more than you really need to spend to build a facility that has all the luxury boxes you want and all the concession areas you want and all the rest. That, uh, you know, a new, a new, a really whiz bang great college stadium costs a couple of hundred million. And, you know, it's just when you go from two or three hundred million for the best college football facilities in the country to one point nine billion for the Raiders and the Rams, a significant hunk of that is basically um, gold plating uh, for owners to build monuments to themselves. And this is why the, 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 the stadium authority problem is a crucial part, that they don't know what to say no to and what to say yes to because, A, they're inexperienced themselves, and, B, they don't usually have their own uh, representation. That's the fascinating thing to me. The stadium authority itself did not hire any consultants. Now, about the design of the stadium, about its operations, about the financing of it, they relied entirely on, on third parties to provide them the information. And so they adopt a plan that looks good because there's consulting reports out there that say it looks good, but that are just one overly optimistic assumption after another. And the the likelihood it's actually going to pan out to pay off a $1.9 billion stadium and cause the Raiders to be substantially more profitable than they already are in Oakland, the probability of all that happening is essentially zero. And taking a break to say there's this place in Bali where you can play 18 holes next to an active volcano. There's this fountain in Miami that goes off with every home run. There's this subway line in New York that'll take you straight to both arenas. There's an exciting and thrilling world waiting, and no other card lets you experience it like the business platinum card from American Express, backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way, so don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner, or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey, or click on the survey banner on podcast one.com springtime tips and fun facts from paul Kristen, and dexter at total wine and more everybody loves honey glazed carrots a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet bright moscato your bloody mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka i'm stocking pile those toppings sky high serving lamb this season try it with a bold cabernet from the trendy paso robles region whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers. Mark, as this is laid out now, um, uh, how would you grade it in t- or, or, or rate it in terms of the likelihood of this being a success in terms of how your original conservative numbers would have come out and how it is now in terms of what this will, whether this will be an economic success for uh, Las Vegas or the state, uh, and, and as well as the Raiders. It's moving from the point where I felt comfortable. to. I mean, there's risk. Um, they wanted the NFL. Um, to Roger's point, the model we had, the stadium could have cost less <laughs> and the taxes would have been fine. Las Vegas is unique. They get those 43 million visits a year. They survived fairly well during the recession. Um, there's more risk now, um, more pressure to get more events uh, that, that are new to the economy. It, it's just stressing on a lot of different points. And, and as, as Rogers noted, um, getting to that higher figure made some assumptions about how many People from the Raider Nation are going to come spend three three days in Las Vegas. Maybe it happens. 
I don't know, but you're going in on a lot of um, a lot of stress. Uh, clearly, they were willing to take that risk relative to the fact that they wanted the NFL. Well, they've got the NFL, and now they've got a, a lot of a lot of heavy lifting. By the way, Mark, in your uh, report on this, and I, and I want our, our I like our listeners to get an understanding of this. Can you please explain? When people talk about the economists like uh, yourself and Roger, when you're measuring the potential benefits of a stadium for a uh, for the local area, people often reference the opportunity cost of money. And I've always understood that to mean, well, you don't just take an extra dollar spent at the stadium and say, therefore, the economy went up by a dollar because there's a likelihood that dollar could have been used somewhere else. Can, can you get into that a little bit more, please? Oh, yeah. and, and no, that, that was discussed a lot. And, and, and this particular tax that's being used as a, uh, a funny history, all right, it was created in the 50s. Uh, and basically, it was done to finance uh, a significant number of things in Nevada. Uh, at that point, Las Vegas's share of the um, uh, uh, of the what's called the entertainment gambling business was was in inside of Nevada was kind of split between the north and the south. All right, now that's really shifted dramatically since uh, it was created. Where right now Clark County drives, let's say, about ninety percent of that tax money. Now, that tax money can only be used for a few things. Each time it has been shifted to put more things in, like UNLV, well, then some money had to go to UN uh, Reno. Uh, when they went to public education, then some of that money had to go to northern N Nevada. Now, one level, he said, well, that's great because everybody, every, everybody's winning. But the people in southern Nevada do not want to open that tax up again because if they open it up again to use it for other things, they're going to actually lose money in the south to the north. So there was a dynamic inside of the state that was also pulling because there were a lot of legislators from southern Nevada, uh, specifically Clark County, that don't want that tax taken back to the legislature because of the fact that in, in negotiations they would actually lose more money than they would gain by using the tax for other things. So they're looking at, okay, how much of this money is actually going to stay in, in Southern Nevada? That for them is a high priority. And one could see that from a, a voting standpoint, what, why they come out that way. So could this money have been used for anything else? Actually, it was down to two or three assets because it's allowed to be used for tourism infrastructure. That's where the investment would have to have been made. And to keep it in Southern, Cal uh, Southern Nevada, that would have meant uh, another expansion of the convention center, which in my view, I, it was hard to imagine. They have enough convention space in Las Vegas that if the three largest conventions held each year in North America wanted to be in Las Vegas the same week, Las Vegas can accommodate them now. I don't know how much more capacity you need, uh, which then turned to a stadium which is what we had hoped back in 2011 would get their attention. So that, that's where the tax issue becomes. At one level, the opportunity costs are, are straightforward. Yes, why not spend it on education as opposed to uh, football or a stadium? We get it. But in this case, the dynamics of that tax, you couldn't really get there easily. Well, Mark, quick follow-up. What about on the output side uh, in terms of what is spent by consumers at the stadium? In your numbers, um, do you, is, are there any adjustments made when you get to the benefits for the city or state in saying, well, some of that would have been spent anyway? In other words, it's, 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 is it a zero-sum game in the calculation or is it the overall pie growing? How, how do you... Uh, we're, we're, we're actually tracking that right now to make sure of, of that point, even though we're not, we have no contracts with anybody. We're just doing it on the academic side. So we're tracking literally what's been happening to spending in Las Vegas since the tax has been implemented. Because one of the biggest problems or issues would be, look, uh, taxes go up, but their spending goes down. All right. So we're looking at what tourists are doing because we excluded all spending by Nevadans. We are only focused on people from outside the state of Nevada. 
Uh, we've only got two months of data. Uh, we got the third one will come in very soon. Right now, uh, attendance is uh, year to year is now showing a gain. So right now, we're not seeing yet any negative impact, but we've only got two months of data, and we got a long way to go. So right now, the initial indication is no uh, loss yet, but we only have two two months of data. Roger, a uh, lot of teams moving in the NFL recently. A lot, lot happening. The Rams go to L.A., uh, the Raiders want to go to Vegas. The Chargers are going up to play uh, in the same stadium as the Rams eventually. They're now playing in a basically in a small soccer stadium. Um, you've been looking at all of this for a long time. I know arenas and stadiums in, in many different sports. In all the football stadiums that, that you've analyzed over the years, what would you say the percentage are where – the public financing has paid off uh, to the local area and, and uh, perhaps dig a little bit in and, and help us. I mean, I'm parochial, right? I'm, I'm from, I live in New Jersey. I'm from New York. So I'm a, I'm a giant fan. I got MetLife, which was uh, privately financed. Is there a uh, difference when let's say it's 50% private, 50% public, uh, yeah, I think the Falcons, the, the Vikings new stadium, I think is about 50-50. The Falcons, I think, is mostly private. You know, what has really determined whether these things pay off or not? Well, you've, all, you've hit it exactly on the head. It's what fraction of the cost is paid for by the public sector, and is there any serious cost control? Uh, you know, is it, is the, the, the bottom line to it is if the public sector makes a commitment that's fairly small, uh, the smallest you basically can get away with is provision of infrastructure, which is uh, that was the deal in San Francisco for AT&T Park for the Giants. Um, you know, uh, Charlotte had that deal. If you, if, and so uh, the, the interesting fact of life is that those kind of deals can, are really only viable in, in the largest and richest cities, you know, the Bay Area, Los Angeles, New York, uh, because the advantage of being located there, where you have a very large, wealthy community that will pay large amounts of money in PSLs and luxury boxes and uh, spend a lot of money on concessions inside the stadium, those are the biggest, richest cities. Uh, for the Las Vegas, Jacksonville, San Diego, you know, if you look at the, at the bottom of the NFL, NFL. Um, those the, the those are not great places to make a lot of money off a football team. They're profitable, but they're in order to be uh, uh, seriously profitable, uh, they need a significant public subsidy if they're in fact going to build the kind of stadium that the NFL is willing to put an all uh, uh, Super Bowl in, uh, and so. It's sort of a perverse phenomenon that you the the, the smaller cities, uh, Cincinnati and and uh, you know the, that Tampa, San Diego, they're the ones that get hit with the big bills and have the stadiums that never pay for themselves. Whereas uh, you know in New York and L.A. gets a brand new shiny stadium and all they pay is the infrastructure. And and you you bring me to the Patriots who privately finance their stadium and, and yep. they put a lot of money into it and it pays off for them. Uh, big that's market, true. winning team, uh, well managed. Yeah, uh, that's right. And so the, 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 the NFL is really an interesting business because the, 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 you know, if, you're, if you're in the top markets, the top 10 markets, uh, it's a gold mine. And building a fancy stadium is perfectly a reasonable strategy, particularly if you're a wealthy person and you don't mind spending an extra few hundred million dollars for the gold plating. But in in most of the cities, um, they need a subsidy. Then you get to the next question: is why does why do they actually pay it? And and Mark was on target. They pay it because they want to be an NFL city, and the number of cities that have the population and wealth of the smallest seven or eight cities in the NFL, 
the number of cities in that category is roughly three times as large as the number of cities that actually have a team. So whenever one becomes available, you get multiple possible bidders, and there and then there's going to be one of them that has the most optimistic forecast of what the, the team is going to do for it, and it will end up bidding the most, it'll end up getting the team, and it'll end up having the biggest financial problems ex post. Uh, Mark, does, does uh, the, the NHL now having an expansion team in Vegas, is, is that a, a significant variable for how an NFL stadium could work? It, it can. I tend to think uh, it, it'll have very little effect on uh, on the Raiders, the NFL, or, or the entertainment package that will be developed, simply because, um, you know, it's a 20,000-seat uh, venue. Uh, there are fourteen or 15,000-seat venues uh, at some of the uh, resorts already. There'll be some cross-competition there. Uh, what what we projected would take place um, at, at the stadium, it's not going to have a negative effect on the NHL. Ironically, and this is a point that we played a lot, and again, we represented UNLV, building that hockey arena had a very large detrimental effect on UNLV because UNLV used the Thomas & Mack Arena, which is the original pro- partnership between the resorts and the university, to finance important aspects of its ac- uh, academic and athletic programs. They lost events to T-Mobile. And one of the points that uh, I made during the negotiations and presentations was that there had to be an offset here because UNLV is being threatened to its financial stability because of the opening of, of, of T-Mobile. So as a, every situation, there's always a local context, but the real net loser in the public sector area here was UNLV from the opening of T-Mobile uh, Arena. One last point that I want to make. There is enough money to be made off of sports. And so what we try to do in terms of the work that, that I do out of here is to try to find that sweet spot. Where can the public sector uh, find a financial gain? Where can the team find its financial gain? And how do we structure this so that there are no losers? I thought in 2011, 2012, uh, we had it done. Uh, I hope now, it, it hope that, that it is going to turn out that way. Uh, there's more risk. There's more heavy lifting that has to go on. Uh, because this is not a venue that's going to drive any kind of real estate development. Clark County is not going to see any kind of relocation of economic activity from somewhere else in the region or the state. They are the region, and in most intent and purposes, they are the state. So this one is going to have to be on those number of events that are hosted in that facility, not sports related, you know, not the Raiders, not the MLS, not UNLV football. Can they really generate enough? Can they get that 20 events to 22 events that they need? I hope so. Roger, you were talking about the difference in market sizes. You know, of course, now if if the Raiders move, Oakland's vacated. You know, the uh, obviously Las Vegas has the huge entertainment industry, but still with that, Oakland's got a much bigger population. They've got much higher gross metro product, much higher median household income. Uh, all of this tells me that the NFL sooner rather than later, is going to have a team back in Oakland, just like after they vacated Cleveland for Baltimore and then a few years later went back to Cleveland. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I, I don't think that's going to happen because I uh, the, remember that the, that the Bay Area is a multi-team territory and the, 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 as soon as the Raiders leave, the 49ers are going to be objecting if you try to move anybody into the Bay Area. It might happen, but I have a suspicion that it won't. Um, I think that Oakland's days as a location of Major League Sports franchises is numbered. Uh, I think the best they can hope for is to keep the A's, and they may not even keep them. So 
Um, and you're absolutely right about the Bay Area in the sense that as a as a place to locate sports teams, it's golden. And indeed, um, uh, you could easily put um, the the A's in the in San Jose, Silicon Valley, and they would be extremely successful down there. The problem is the territorial restrictions, and uh, so I think there's a good chance the A's will eventually just leave. Uh, if they can get a new deal in Oakland, that would be fine. But I, but then I also think the chances of some a football team replacing the Raiders are too slim because the 49ers will block it. And there are other cities out there that will will bid. I mean, there are groups in several other cities without teams uh, that would like to bid for one. Uh, and uh, I would expect that if the NF, if some other NFL team uh, wants to move, it will end up not moving to Oakland, but moving to one of the several cities that have this two to three million population uh, in their metropolitan area, and uh, that will be where the next uh, NFL franchise is located. You mean like a San Antonio or someplace like San that? Antonio, Portland. I mean, there's a number of them out there. Uh, Memphis. <laughs> you know, uh, we got St. Louis is empty now, and it's got a facility <laughs> which you can renovate. So, yeah, there are there are a number of cities out there that are equally good as places to have teams as the bottom third of the NFL. All right, you know, Mark, now I gave you a very complete and nice intro in the show. Roger's just completely taken me to the woodshed and told me why I'm wrong about Oakland. Can you, <laughs> can you save me here, or do you agree with Roger? No, I, I, have, to, I, I have to yield. I, I don't know much about the dynamics um, in, in Oakland and, and what, what, what would happen. Um, the 49ers, uh, to Roger's point, do they uh, pull, you know, pull the territorial card and simply say now that the, they want to um, keep it at the 50-mile to 65-mile radius? If that happens, uh, does the NFL really want to get involved in a knockdown dragout about forcing a, an owner to accept a team that um, he or she doesn't want to accept? Um Wait a minute. I'm a little confused on that. Excuse me, Mark. Are you saying that in the Oakland Bay Area that infringes technically on where the 49ers are now in Santa Clara? Um, Can you clarify that, please? Roger would know better, but um, I I would – from from Santa Clara (laughs) to Oakland is how many miles? It's 50 miles. Yeah, so in the franchise agreement then, my – they could object it if they wished. Wow. They're in the 50-mile the radius. Moreover, it's, uh, they almost certainly would. See, there's a big difference between the, the 49ers' conditions and the Rams' conditions. The Rams did take the Chargers in, but that's because it was a self-financed stadium, no public subsidy, and the, 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 the Chargers will be tenants in the same stadium. This is not a case of, of the 49ers getting a tenant for their facility. If you put a team in Oakland, it would require its own facility and would be direct competitor to the 49ers with no offsetting benefit. Well, I got to tell you, this has been a great pleasure. I've had two of the best, two of my great mentors over the years, Roger Knoll and Mark Rosentraub. Easy for me to say. Uh, Both of you gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And and listen, let's do a uh, follow-up not too distant future on all the uh, college stadiums and, and renovations that are going on. I'm finding that fascinating. Uh, I hope you guys will join me again in a few months. I'd uh, love to hear your take on that. Mark Great. Rosentraub and Roger Knoll, everyone. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you very much. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Hey, humans. David Smalley here from the Dogma Debate Podcast right here on Podcast One, where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work, religion, politics, abortion, racism, slavery, and that's only when we open the Bible. We discuss Islam, Islamophobia. What does that even mean? We chat with vegans, animal rights activists, and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves. I invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview. 
but as long as they are okay with being respectfully challenged, you better bring your evidence. And I never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds. So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Watch our 360 virtual reality videos on the Podcast One app and download Dogma Debate on iTunes or PodcastOne.com. A factor that seems casual is claiming tens of thousands of LGBT lives every year. Tobacco. Yes, smoking cigarettes can damage nearly every part of our bodies. So we choose to keep this life free from tobacco. This free life. Freedom to be tobacco-free. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.